Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. This week, we're going to talk about whether or not we sacrifice quality in the name of speed or deadlines or something to that effect. This was a topic that came up recently in in conversations and, and in thoughts that I've been having If you've been on a team that has a very, very tight deadline, um, whether or not you've decided to trade off scope or certain milestones or even potentially changing some of the standards with which you develop software, there's some things that we can control. So while while quality can be subjective, certainly there there are items with which we can agree on. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I think I think that you can I think I think that you can have a team agreed standard, or especially a majority agreed standard. I I think that you can definitely have a team standard, but it's very 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 unlikely that it will be your personal standard. So with that, and and we started talking a little bit behind the scenes just to get a feel for what types of things we wanted to discuss and and Clayton, you had brought up your standards versus their standards versus team standards. Even Uh, I I would, when I join a team or when I'm new to a team or when the team changes significantly, whether that's new team members added or team members leave for, for various other reasons, it's worthwhile often I find to have that kind of team norms discussion so that you can set the expectation so that you can discuss what uh, what you expect from from each other, what you expect from one another, the types of things that we determine what quality is and, and how we define that. Maybe. I, I think those things can certainly be valuable. Um, it's good to have a discussion. Um, it depends on how the discussion is held, though. Like, if if you were to stop or if you were to say sometime in the in the in the team like oh well i think that we should all be doing unit tests and the rest of the team kind of sits there for a second and looks at you and then like uh oh okay i mean we can i guess we can we can do we can try unit tests then they're probably not going to do unit tests um it may it may be that they're unfamiliar with them or or whatever the case uh, maybe they had a bad experience in the past. I think that the, that the team standard is going to fall down to kind of like the weakest link concept. So whatever, whoever has the lowest standards on the team, that's your starting point. Now, you might be able to nudge them up just a little bit, and then hopefully over time, they, their standard can increase but you're you're kind of stuck with whoever that lowest standard person is in your eyes. I, you know, their standard could be very high compared to some other, you know, in their own eyes. Um, but it's it's whoever's whoever's standard matches your personal standard the most or the least is is kind of where you're stuck starting. And I, I 
I don't think that you can push somebody too far outside of that bounds without getting a whole lot of friction. And that's why I think it's important to have that team discussion of what is acceptable to the team. And now, granted, that means that you you have to have a team that is comfortable voicing their concerns and voicing their 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 thoughts, their their opinions, and and sharing what they're comfortable with and sharing what they're not comfortable with. Uh, I I wonder if there's a little bit of a difference, and we're using the same word, but maybe sort of having a little bit of a different meaning behind it because when you almost always, huh? I said almost always. Almost always. Yeah. So when you say standard, uh, especially Clayton, you're you're speaking of a measurement, like a um, let, let's let's imagine we had an algorithm that could objectively measure the quality of something. So this is like an objective measurement of the output code, and you're saying the the standard is whatever the lowest whatever the quality is of the lowest output code. Whereas I think when I say standard, I'm talking about the measurement using that same algorithm of the ideal code or the agreed upon ideal code. So uh, not the actual achieved code, but the if we were to ideally write this code and we measured that quality, it would have met this particular standard of quality. And... So I think that you can set an ideal standard of quality. I agree that the quality of code that you'll achieve will always match the lowest output of the low of whatever that individual who ranks on the quality measure stick, right? That that's going to be the lowest level, if you will, of quality that that you're going to get. But I think that you could still have a, a, an ideal picture and I think in a standard is an ideal it's not the actual measurement of the, the achieved so I think that's a little bit of a difference well I, I think that you have very nearly uh, highlighted kind of my problem with the concept in that everyone's definition is going to be different who defines this objective measurement that you speak of is it is it you Maybe maybe something that you would say is objectively good code, somebody else would say is objectively bad code. It's everyone's definition of standard, everyone's definition of good code, bad code, safe code, harmful code, all of that stuff is going to be different. Now, there are some things that you could say are absolutely 100% better. But maybe in this one case, it's actually a bad idea to do that for this reason that we looked up in the journals in 1985 that proves that it was. There's always an exception to the rule. So any definition that you provide is going to fall short. And every single team member's understanding of said definition is probably going to be different. And I, I think that's fine. And and again, that's why I go back to I think it's important to have that conversation with the team that these these are the types of things that we 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 are setting expectations of each other of ourselves we we are trying to at the very least set a a bar with which we are going to help hold ourselves and each other accountable of course there are going to be ex, uh, exceptions of course there are going to be uh 
opportunities are going to be uh, times that we have to change them. We have to adjust them. Maybe we have reset meetings. Maybe we change it. We have different level set meetings. Maybe it's an understanding that in order to meet this feature, this requirement, this timeline, this deadline, this something, we need to make an exception. But does that necessarily mean that we didn't meet those expectations? It de- it de- it depends on what's in your in your quality bag. Well, and and that's also interesting because quality is such a subjective measurement. We we and that's why I think it's important to have that conversation so that you are setting what those ex- expectations are. Um, just earlier today, I was listening to um, the Azure DevOps podcast with our friend Jeffrey Palermo, who had Capers Jones on talking about quality and requirements and metrics and and all of the the tracking and um, categorizing and quantifying quality to to the best of, of anyone's ability and realizing that all of the unit tests in the world the automated testing all of the documentation isn't necessarily going to discover all of the bad code all of the bugs all of the defects because the majority of bugs and defects are missed requirements they happen long before code is written. Well, and, and testing isn't to prevent bugs. Testing is to ensure that the code does what you think it does. It could do any number of things that you don't think it does. On code quality and on standards, team standards, individual standards, the way that I have recently started tackling this is to have all of the coding standards, any any that we're going to try to enforce, enforced by the compiler. So use the editor config, use ESLint, use, um, uh, what's it called for C-sharp? The, you can use the, the, the rules that you can get from Microsoft and turn on certain rules and off certain rules in the solution uh, configuration. By enabling those, you can discuss it with the team, but you don't necessarily have to. If if they've done something that they shouldn't have done, they'll get an error. They won't be able to actually check that code in because it, it won't compile. It'll be broken. They'll just get errors. Once you do that, then you can enforce a certain level of code quality, at least, at least you know, the rules that you can put together. And then... Uh, we also paint broadly with the unit test stroke. So you need to write unit tests. Are all the unit tests going to be gems? No, there's going to be a lot of really bad unit tests. But at least looking at the unit tests, you can see that the person has verified the code does what they have expected the code to do. And I think that that is the most reasonable starting point for for like a, a team standard. And then after that, uh, this is assuming that you're just coming to the team or the team is just forming. After that, you've got to see how people write code, you know, what their individual standards are. You know, like maybe maybe um, Sharon doesn't put a space before the return, doesn't put a, a, a white, white space line. You know, maybe, maybe John uh, doesn't put any space between like as if statements or something different, different people are going to code different ways. They're not necessarily bad, 
they may not be up to what you would consider your standard, but you, you got to learn your team's standard and then, you know, maybe you can make suggestions, but there's no guarantee anyone's going to adhere to those suggestions. So I guess I, I think that a couple of things in there, uh, for one thing, I think there's a com. what I would say is you're conf- there's a confusion between standard and style, right? Like I don't think I, I don't think that uh, where, how you apply spaces or white, white space or something like that makes your code higher quality. It's a, it's a standard of readability. So, so here's a, here's the thing the, like I said earlier, your definition of standard is different from my definition of standard is different from John's definition of standard is different from everybody else's definition of standard. So, yeah, okay. Yes, I would agree with that if you're going to include something like style. But I, I, I think that we can look at things uh, a little bit more objectively and we can look at things um, that, that matter more. Like you should have used a parallel for each here? Things like that. Yeah, performance, you can... Because that's, that's an optimum performance standard. And like, so you can objectively measure performance. You can objectively measure... I don't think you can objectively measure performance. You could run an analysis tool on the code. And for path X, this thing took a certain amount of time. And you could say, okay, well, this should be, uh, just to keep the same example, a parallel for each. And then that would shave off some time. But that code is only run once and it's run in a separate process uh, and yada, yada, yada. And because of the database, the way that the database is working, this parallel for each actually won't work in this particular case because blah, 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 blah. So you can't just run a tool against it and then objectively say that this should be changed to, to meet standard X. There's exceptions to every rule. And but like okay, I, there being exceptions to every rule doesn't mean there's no rules. If you're going to use a tool to objectively measure something, and that tool is built into your process, which if you're going to adhere to the standard, you'd have to build the tool in, right? That or you run it yourself every single time you're looking at some code. Yeah, and I, and again, this is where I think I think um, I think that there's difference when we say enforcing. Again, I. I think that what we should be striving to, I think the standard is an ideal, right? This, the standard itself is an ideal. And what we'd be striving to is to meet the ideal. But we should be not ever, ex- we should almost never expect, in a sense, to, to always make it there, right? Because there's exceptions to every rule, which is why we can't necessarily just enforce something. Because if you're forcing this ideal, then there's exceptions and there's there's exceptional cases that we'll have to then write around and work around those situations so what when we say you want to enforce it in my opinion it's a very like soft enforce it's like it is it is more like we want everyone to come together and agree that we're striving in this all in this direction together and when you have people that aren't striving into that direction together then i think we have to have that conversation again that says Hey, we all said we were going to strive together. Is do we ha- do you don't do you disagree? And if people say yes, we disagree, then we have to address those those disagreements and why. And and I think like you, we've brought it up in our previous conversation. You're saying that uh, 
the the achievement of this quality is a people problem and i think that that's very true like we have to understand what are the motivations that keep people from being able to strive with the team that 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 hinder their motivations and sometimes that is very a very tough thing to change um and sometimes that it may not be that difficult to change but we shouldn't not try we should try to identify it in my opinion yeah and and if we do need to call out uh that we are breaking our agreement or we're we're breaking a rule or or we are uh making an adjustment in this exceptional case uh, i think it's important just to call that out and 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 inform the team inform those that that for for better or worse have made that agreement just to say we are making an exception this, in this case for this reason what i what i don't want to get in the habit of is saying we are making an exception for this why what, I, because it's monday and i haven't had my coffee you know and i i want to make sure the exceptional cases are truly exceptional and worthy of of exception you know that it is acceptable to say you know what in this instance uh, for based on the knowledge of what the current constraints are, yes, let's go forward and 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 if we need to, we can address, we can address, we can redress those uh, understandings and those commitments that we've already made and and make adjustments accordingly if we need to. But regardless, let's move forward based on that understanding. Right. So if I let's say let's say this magical standard existed and there was some tool that the team had where they could you know program the standard in and then the tool would look at the code and measure the standard and highlight anything that didn't meet this standard how many exceptions to the standard before people start giving up and it could just be on that one rule that that one thing that we keep having exceptions for but every time that you see code that doesn't meet and you have to create the exception for it 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 is at least in in the slightest bit soul crushing it shouldn't necessarily be soul crushing but it should it should beg the question was that a good standard in the first place well and, and maybe it wasn't but i guess my point is you know like if let's say the team has, has been on a roll and they hit uh 70 percent quality achievement Right. And then things taper off because, you know, like that last little bit's always more. But then for whatever reason, they have to start making exceptions. Sometimes an individual will just get to a point where they're like, you know, I, I can't. I just I just can't. I can't even deal with this anymore. I give up. I mean, I I don't know how many times I've gotten so close to something. And then for whatever reason, I hit a, a roadblock. And then I just quit. Sometimes a measurement can be detrimental. Yeah, sure. But does, so you're, what you're suggesting is then we should never measure? I'm saying that you would have to be very careful with what you actually measure. And you don't know what's going to damage the psyche of your team members. Yeah. So the, the approach is either never measure or measure with monitoring and, and hope that you can, uh, like adjust or react if you notice a bad direction of your team members. And and isn't that what a lot of the ceremonies are 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 for in a, a scrum or an agile practice that 
we we are trying to have daily conversations at least to inform the the team of what it is we're working on if we have encountered any blockers if we are able to meet our commitments if we need to adjust those commitments we we should be having uh, sprint in ceremonies of some kind or retrospective to have those conversations of this. These are the problems that I'm encountering. I think we need to adjust our understanding and, and our commitments. I think we need to have those conversations. And I think, you know, whether or not you're, you're comfortable having those conversations is, is a different story. And, and hopefully you, you can have a, a team where you can share those items and come up with those team agreements. But, you know, Clayton, I think you you bring up a good point of your standards versus their standards versus team standards that we, you know, we all have our own optics. We all have our own ways of viewing things. And, you know, not everybody is going to have the same OCD challenges that I do that is going to be so myopically intent on the the code that I'm writing and and wanting to uh, achieve some kind of... uh, Per, close to perfection or, or, you know, some kind of uh, unattainable standard that that's not fair for me to impart that same challenge on them, especially if they weren't wanting to commit to that level of uh, OCD-ness themselves. And, and there's certain, you know, there's also, I, th- I think, Ash, you had mentioned before we started recording that, that this is kind of what Roy Osharov was saying during our last episode, that nobody's going to give you a gold star if you have 100% unit tests and you delivered a week, a week late, right? And you're certainly not going to pay bills with that. So, so, of course, there are going to be constraints. There's going to be things that we need to account for so that we can uh, meet our objectives so that we can deliver on software so that we can cash a paycheck. Well, I think, I think it's important uh, just in, in case some of the listeners don't know me personally, which I'm guessing some of them don't. I uh, am probably the most OCD about code out of the three of us, or, or at least have been at one point. And I hold myself to a higher standard than I hold anyone else. That has led to uh, some mental anguish, some outbursts at work, uh, some hug it out meetings with some people, and um, a lot of stress. And sometime in the last year, year and a half, something like that, I decided I didn't want that stress anymore, which is why I'm a bit more... Uh, mellow or lax with the whole standards thing because I have realized that that regardless of my personal standard, I can't hold my teammates to that standard. I can only hold them really to their own standard plus maybe just a nudge here and there. And that's if I'm lucky because you can't always even nudge them. And then I really, I shouldn't even hold myself to that standard all the time. The, the game, um, the game, framework that I'm writing has been fairly therapeutic because I'm not writing good code. I'm just writing the code and then seeing if it works. And that's allowed me a space to just kind of let it go and relax. And I, I think the reality is Clayton, you and I are as, as we are almost always very, very close in our actual opinion. 
so while while you while you're using the word hold to to be one of the way that you would way a unit test would hold the code to perform a particular like function so the unit test is going to enforce and ensure it's going to f- always fail or trigger or error if that if that code ever didn't function the way that it's specifying right when i say hold a team to a standard there's a lot of wiggle room that i'm that i'm saying there because what i'm talking about is holding holding a person accountable to to that action and so i i don't expect them to actually follow the standard i expect them to break it but th- what i what i mean by holding them to that standard is when they break it i identify it we talk about it and we try attempt to, to address moving moving that forward but it's but the expectation there is that it, the standard is not, not going to be met yeah I, I tend to have a very boolean outlook on the world something either is or something isn't it's a, it's a great computational perspective. And it, it's a weird new Clayton because you're, you're strangely Zen. I found, I found the, the third option on a checkbox. No. Right? <laughs> so you're, you're a tri-state Boolean. A tri-state I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a tri-state checkbox now. <laughs> but but you're, you're Zen and pessimistic at the same time. I, I love it. We also started talking a little bit before recording about the, the Iron Triangle. And some, sometimes, you know, when, when we're presented with uh, a fixed scope, a fixed timeline, and, and a fixed budget, for, for more or less, uh, for, for lack of a better word, because we know the team constraints that we have, and we've, we've been given a deadline, and, and we know the scope of a feature that we need to implement, sometimes teams are quick to throw out quality in favor of speed. You know, you're, you're not... To Clayton, to your point on your game engine, you're not necessarily following uh, TDD or best practices in in your estimation, but you're also working on your own timeline and and defining scope as you go. So maybe that's not a one to one correlation, but you know, is is throwing is throwing out those standards that we've set for ourselves, throwing out quality is that going to get us to the deadline to the to the finish line quicker better faster cheaper it depends on your definition of some of that stuff uh, so I, I think that this can if you if we take the long-term approach hands down no the, there there's no way that you get to cheaper software by throwing out quality ever it will always cause a more expense to throw out the quality and so you're going to have greater scope and greater expense if you throw out quality in the long run. That that hands down. Is it possible in the short run? It may be possible. But I think the times when it's possible is the exception, not the rule. The, I think that it's I think that it is a it is generally speaking a misnomer that we that we can throw out quality in order to um gain some sort of benefit in scope or some sort of benefit in timeline trying to think of how i would how i would answer this i there okay so well like if if you need to get if you need to get to market first yeah, yeah, or, or like some, something to short, that effect yeah shortcuts exist and if used properly they could give you all those benefits i would say that they are rarely used properly 
Additionally, what I would say is not all quality sacrifices are the same. So I think that you could sacrifice. There are some there are some quality sacrifices. And again, this is what I think are the exception where you say, um, I don't know, like there might be some algorithm or something that you you choose to sacrifice on and you get because we don't need the perfect one yet. So we're going to sacrifice on the quality of this algorithm and but it's a working algorithm so we can get it out the door. Well, that that's a that is one kind of quality sacrifice. But but the sort of like we're going to shit our pants and just because we need to go fast and we're not going to use the toilet like that to me is a whole different style of quality and quality sacrifice. And it's completely unacceptable. Yeah. So, so what I was saying when I froze was, was that there are shortcuts that can, that can meet all the goals that the business has. Um, if they're used properly, a lot of times they're not used properly, but the people taking the shortcuts either don't care or don't know. It's like, this is when we were talking about tech debt. Yeah. Yeah. Like the correct, the correct definition of tech debt, but there's, I mean, there's, there's other things. So like normally I would say, to follow like the TDD standard, red, green, refactor, right? So create a, a new test, write a little bit of the test until the test fails. Uh, maybe maybe start backwards, right? So write the assertion that doesn't compile. Go write the thing that makes it compile. Then come back, write the rest of the test or the next step of the test um, so that you can fill it out. And then, you know, go write the code and then the test will turn green and then yada, yada, yada. If you are in a hurry and you know that you have already done something very, very similar to this somewhere else in the code base, you could go and copy-paste a few tests, copy-paste a class or two, and then modify. And that is a shortcut, and it probably will end up with some sloppy code or some extra code um, that may or may not adhere to your standard. And in that case, you know, maybe, maybe the the cheating or the rushing or the sacrificing quality does pay off. Yeah. And maybe this is just me having a different quality standard, but I wouldn't necessarily call that a sacrificing quality per se. Well, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice because you're doing, you would be doing the, well, okay. So yes, everybody has a different standard. For me, one of the benefits of TDD is that you write less code because you're only writing enough code to make the test pass. If you are Big Bang copying a class and copying some tests and then making small modifications and then going from there, then a lot of the code already exists and you don't know if that code was written to reduce the amount of code that needed to be written. And maybe there's some extra stuff in there that you didn't delete because the, the test passed and you're done and you can move on. So for me, that represents a potential code quality sacrifice because the code would have been different had I written it directly from a new test. That's that's just me. So here's where I have two two issues with this problem. So for, for one thing, either A, if you're copying and pasting those that code directly, then it then it's obviously a, a failure to reuse that code. So if it's co- it's copying and pasting that code and then modifying it so it has slightly different behavior, then it's a possibly like you're not using um, polymorphic design well. But then the last thing is the passing test isn't the last step. Refactor is the last step. So even if you copied and pasted those tests in there and you got it 
the work, the code to work. It doesn't hold you back from refactoring. And when you look at the code and you say, but I'm in a hurry. Right. But copying and pasting isn't the problem. It's the choosing not to refactor. Right, right. But all the tests pass. So if you if you want to if you want to say that there's something I can see to refactor and I, I choose not to refactor that code, I think I think that that's the issue, not how you constructed that code. OK, I, I didn't highlight that. But yes, if you're if you're writing your tests and your code in that fashion, usually refactor is thrown out, at least in my experience. But once you have the test and they're working, you have the option to refactor, which means that even down the road, you can refactor. Well, that's that's point B. That's why um, I am also less caring about the code quality issue. If I have one single, very highly important code quality metric that must be met every time, and that is write a unit test, then the code backing that unit test doesn't really matter that much. Sure. It could be terrible. The test passed. So we could deploy that code and everything should be fine. And if there's a bug, we write a test to make sure that the that the bug doesn't exist anymore. And then we could refactor. We we can change everything and everything is okay. Like, oh, it doesn't perform. Well, we can fix that. Like the the test to me is the only standard that truly matters because if I've got a test that verifies the business logic, then everything else can be fixed. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's why all the rest of it, it you know, what I, it, this person codes that way or didn't use the right pattern or structure or whatever. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to make them do another five days of work because I disagree with the pattern they chose. If it performs fine, then it performs. If not, we can fix it later. Otherwise, I end up with a heart attack. And of course, dear listener, we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on code quality, on standards, on team descriptions, on team agreements, on uh, any of the topics that we discussed today? Uh, Drop us a line, leave us a comment on the website, or uh, shoot us a line on Twitter. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Ah!